Section 58, Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Underhill. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D, Section 58, Chapter 49, Part 1. James I. To wrest the Palatinate from the hands of the Emperor and the Duke of Bavaria must always have been regarded as a difficult task for the power of England, conducted by so unwarlike a prince as James. It was plainly impossible why the breach subsisted between him and the commons. The king's negotiations, therefore, had they been managed with ever so great dexterity, must now carry less weight with them, and it was easy to elude all his applications. When Lord Digby, his ambassador to the emperor, had desired a cessation of hostilities, he was referred to the Duke of Bavaria, who commanded the Austrian armies. The Duke of Bavaria told him that it was entirely superfluous to form any treaty for that purpose. "'Hostilities are already ceased,' said he, "'and I doubt not but I shall be able to prevent their revival "'by keeping firm possessions of the Palatinate "'till a final agreement shall be concluded between the contending parties.' Notwithstanding this insult, James endeavoured to resume with the Emperor a treaty of accommodation, and he opened the negotiations at Brussels under the mediation of Archduke Albert and after his death, which happened about this time, under that of the Infanta, when the conferences were entered upon, it was found that the powers of these princes to determine in the controversy were not sufficient or satisfactory. Schwarzenberg, the imperial minister, was expected at London, and it was hoped that he would bring more ample authority. His commission referred entirely to the negotiation at Brussels. It was not difficult for the king to perceive that his applications were neglected by the emperor, but as he had no choice of any other expedient, and it seemed the interest of his son-in-law to keep alive his pretensions, he was still content to follow Ferdinand through all his shifts and evasions. Nor was he entirely discouraged, even when the imperial diet at Ratzeban, by the influence, or rather authority, of the emperor, though contrary to the protestation of Saxony, and of all the Protestant princes and cities, had transferred the electoral dignity from the Palatine to the Duke of Bavaria. Meanwhile, the efforts made by Frederick for the recovery of his dominions were vigorous. Three armies were levied in Germany by his authority, under three commanders, Duke Christian of Brunswick, the Prince of Baden-Durlach, and Count Mansfeld. The two former generals were defeated by Count Tilly and the Imperialists. The third, though much inferior in force to his enemies, still maintained the war, but with no equal supplies of money, either from the Palatine or the King of England. It was chiefly by pillage and free quarters in the Palatinate that he subsisted his army. As the Austrians were regularly paid, they were kept in more exact discipline, and James justly became apprehensive less so unequal a contest, besides ravaging the Palatine's hereditary dominions, 
would end in the total alienation of the people's affections from their ancient sovereign by whom they were plundered and in an attachment to their new masters by whom they were protected he persuaded therefore his son-in-law to disarm under color of duty and submission to the emperor and accordingly mansfeld was dismissed from the palatine's service and that famous general withdrew his army into the low countries and there received a commission from the states of the united provinces to show how little account was made of james's negotiations abroad there is a pleasantry mentioned by all historians which for that reason shall have place here in a farce acted at brussels a courier was introduced carrying the doleful news that the palatinate would soon be wrested from the house of austria so powerful were the suckers which from all quarters were hastening to the relief of the despoiled elector the king of denmark had agreed to contribute to his assistance a hundred thousand pickled herrings the dutch a hundred thousand butter boxes and the king of england a hundred thousand ambassadors on other occasions he was painted with a scabbard but without a sword or with a sword which nobody could draw though several were pulling at it it was not from his negotiations with the emperor or the duke of bavaria that james expected any success in his project of restoring the palatine his eyes were entirely turned toward spain and if he could effect his son's marriage with the infanta he doubted not but that after so intimate a conjunction this other point could easily be obtained the negotiations of that court being commonly dilatory it was not easy for a prince of so little penetration in business to distinguish whether the difficulties which occurred were real or affected and he was surprised after negotiating five years on so simple a demand that he was not more advanced than at the beginning a dispensation from rome was requisite for the marriage of the infanta with a protestant prince and the king of spain having undertaken to procure that dispensation had thereby acquired the means of retarding at pleasure or of forwarding the marriage and at the same time of concealing entirely his artifices from the court of england in order to remove all obstacles james dispatched digby soon after created earl of bristol as his ambassador to philip the fourth who had lately succeeded his father in the crown of spain he secretly employed gage as his agent at rome and finding that the difference of religion was the principal if not the sole difficulty which retarded the marriage he resolved to soften that objection as much as possible he issued public orders for discharging all popish recusants who were imprisoned and it was daily apprehended that he would forbid for the future the execution of the penal laws enacted against them for this step so opposite to the rigid spirit of his subjects he took care to apologize and he even endeavored to ascribe it to his great zeal for the reformed religion he had been making applications he said to all foreign princes for some indulgence to the distressed protestants and he was still answered by objections derived from the severity of the english laws against catholics it might indeed occur to him that if the extremity of religious zeal were ever to abate among christian sects one of them must begin and nothing would be more honorable for england than to have led the way in sentiments so wise and moderate 
not only the religious puritans murmured at this tolerating measure of the king the lovers of civil liberty were alarmed at so important an exertion of prerogative but among other dangerous articles of authority the kings of england were at that time possessed of the dispensing power at least were at the constant practice of exercising it besides though the royal prerogative in civil matters was then extensive the princes during some late reigns had been accustomed to assume a still greater and ecclesiastical and the king failed not to represent the toleration of catholics as a measure entirely of that nature by james concession in favor of the catholics he attained his end the same religious motives which had hitherto rendered the court of madrid insincere in all the steps taken with regard to the marriage were now the chief cause of promoting it by its means it was there hoped the english catholics would for the future enjoy ease and indulgence and the infanta would be the happy instrument of procuring to the church some tranquillity after the many severe persecutions which it has hitherto undergone the earl of bristol a minister of vigilance and penetration and who had formerly opposed all alliance with catholics was now fully convinced of the sincerity of spain and he was ready to congratulate the king on the entire completion of his views and projects a daughter of spain whom he represents as extremely accomplished would soon he said arrive in england and bring with her an immense fortune of two millions of pieces of eight or six hundred thousand pounds sterling a sum four times greater than spain had ever before given with any princess and almost equal to all the money which the parliament during the whole course of this reign had hitherto granted the king but what was of more importance to james's honour and happiness bristol considered this match as an infallible prognostic of the palatine's restoration nor would philip he thought ever have bestowed his sister and so large a fortune under the prospect of entering next day into a war with england so exact was his intelligence that the most secret counsels of the spaniards he boasts had never escaped him and he had found that they had all along considered the marriage of the infanta and the restitution of the palatinate as measures closely connected or altogether inseparable however little calculated james characters to extort so vast a concession however improper the measures which he had pursued for attaining that end the ambassador could not withstand the plain evidence of facts by which philip now demonstrated his sincerity perhaps too like a wise man he considered that reasons of state which are supposed solely to influence the council of monarchs are not always the motives which there predominate that the milder views of gratitude honour friendship generosity are frequently able among princes as well as private persons to counterbalance these selfish considerations that the justice and moderation of james had been so conspicuous in all these transactions his reliance on spain his confidence in her friendship that he had at last obtained the cordial alliance of that nation so celebrated for honour and fidelity or if politics must still be supposed the ruling motive of all public measures the maritime power of england was so considerable and the spanish dominion so divided as might well induce the council of philip to think that a sincere friendship with the masters of the sea could not be purchased by too great concessions 
and as james during so many years had been allured and seduced by hopes and protestations his people enraged by delays and disappointments it would probably occur that there was now no medium left between the most inveterate hatred and the most intimate alliance between the nations not to mention that as a new spirit began about this time to animate the councils of france the friendship of england became every day more necessary to the greatness and security of the spanish monarch all measures being therefore agreed on between the parties not was wanting but the dispensation from rome which might be considered as a mere formality the king justified by success now exulted in his pacific counsels and boasted of his superior sagacity and penetration when all these flattering prospects were blasted by the temerity of a man whom he had fondly exalted from a private condition to be the bane of himself of his family and of his people ever since the fall of somerset buckingham had governed with an uncontrolled sway both the court and nation and could james's eyes have been opened he had now full opportunity of observing how unfit his favorite was for the high station to which he was raised some accomplishments of a courtier he possessed of every talent of a minister he was utterly destitute headlong in his passions and incapable equally of prudence and of dissimulation sincere from violence rather than candor expensive from profusion more than generosity a warm friend a furious enemy but without any choice or discernment neither with these qualities he had early and quickly mounted to the highest rank and partook at once of the insolence which attends a fortune newly acquired and the impetuosity which belongs to the persons born in high stations and unacquainted with opposition among those who had experienced the arrogance of this overgrown favorite the prince of wales himself had not been entirely spared and a great coldness if not an enmity had for that reason taken place between them buckingham desirous of an opportunity which might connect him with the prince and overcome his aversion and at the same time envious of the great credit acquired by bristol in the spanish negotiation bethought himself of an expedient by which he might at once gratify both these inclinations he represented to charles that persons of his exalted station were peculiarly unfortunate in their marriage the chief circumstance of his life and commonly received into their arms a bride unknown to them to whom they were unknown not endeared by sympathy not obliged by service wooed by treaties alone by negotiations by political interests that however accomplished the infanta she must still consider herself as a melancholy victim of state and could not but think with aversion of that day when she was to enter the bed of a stranger and passing into a foreign country in a new family but adieu forever to her father's house and to her native land that it was in the prince's power to soften all these rigors and lay such an obligation on her as would attach the most indifferent temper as would warm the coldest affections that his journey to madrid would be an unexpected gallantry which would equal all the fictions of spanish romance and suiting the amorous and enterprising character of that nation must immediately introduce him to the princess under the agreeable character of a devoted lover and daring adventurer that the negotiations with regard to the palatinate which had hitherto languished in the hands of ministers 
would quickly he terminated by so illustrious an agent seconded by the mediation and entreaties of the grateful infanta that spanish generosity moved by that unexampled trust and confidence would make concessions beyond what could be expected from the political views and considerations and that he would quickly return to the king with the glory of having re-established the unhappy palatine by the same enterprise which procured him the affections and the person of the spanish princess the mind of the young prince replete with candour was inflamed by these generous and romantic ideas suggested by buckingham he agreed to make application to the king for his approbation they chose the moment of his kindest and most jovial humour and more by the earnestness which they expressed than by the force of their reasons they obtained a hasty and unguarded consent to their undertaking and having engaged his promise to keep their purpose secret they left him in order to make preparations for their journey no sooner was the king alone than his temper more cautious than sanguine suggested very different views of the matter and represented every difficulty and danger which could occur he reflected that however the world might pardon this sally of youth in the prince they would never forgive himself who at his years and after his experience could entrust only his son the heir of his crown the prop of his age to the discretion of foreigners without so much as providing the frail security of a safe conduct in his favour that if the spanish monarch were sincere in his professions a few months must finish the treaty of marriage and bring the infant into england if he were not sincere the folly was still more egregious of committing the prince into his hands that philip when possessed of so invaluable a pledge might well rise in his demands and impose harder conditions of treaty and that the temerity of the enterprise was so apparent that the event how prosperous soever could not justify it and if disastrous it would render himself infamous to his people and ridiculous to all posterity tormented with these reflections as soon as the prince and buckingham returned for their dispatches he informed them of all the reasons which had determined him to change his resolution and he begged them to desist from so foolish an adventure the prince received the disappointment with sorrowful submission and silent tears buckingham presumed to speak in an imperious tone which he had ever experienced to be prevalent over his too easy master he told the king that nobody for the future would believe anything he said when he retracted so soon the promise so solemnly given that he plainly discerned this change of resolution to proceed from another breach of his word and communicating the matter to some rascal who had furnished him with those pitiful reasons which he had alleged and he doubted not but he should hereafter know who his counsellor had been and that if he receded from what he had promised it would be such a disobligation to the prince who had now set his heart upon the journey after his majesty's approbation that he could never forget it nor forgive any man who had been the cause of it the king with great earnestness fortified by many oaths made his apology by denying that he had communicated the matter to any and finding himself assailed as well by the boisterous importunities of buckingham as by the warm entreaties of his son whose applications had hitherto on other occasions been always dutiful never earnest he had again the weakness to assent to their purposed journey it was agreed that sir francis coddington alone the prince's secretary 
and end mine porter gentlemen of his bedchamber should accompany them and the former being at that time in the antechamber he was immediately called in by the king's orders james told cottington that he had always been an honest man and therefore he was now to trust him in an affair of the highest importance which he was not upon his life to disclose to any man whatever cottington added he here is baby charles and steny these ridiculous appellations he usually gave to the prince in buckingham who have a great mind to go post into spain and fetch home the infanta they will have but two more in their company and have chosen you for one what think you of the journey sir francis who was a prudent man and had resided some years in spain as the king's agent was struck with all the obvious objections to such an enterprise and scrupled not to declare them the king threw himself upon his bed and cried i told you this before and fell into a new passion and new lamentations complaining that he was undone and should lose baby charles the prince showed by his countenance that he was extremely dissatisfied with cottington's discourse but buckingham broke into an open passion against him the king he told him asked him only of the journey and of the manner of travelling particulars of which he might be a competent judge having gone the road so often by post but that he without being called to it had the presumption to give his advice upon matters of state and against his master which he should repent as long as he lived a thousand other reproaches he added which put the poor king into a new agony on behalf of his servant who he foresaw would suffer for answering him honestly upon which he said with some emotion nay by god steny you are much to blame for using him so he answered me directly to the question which i asked him and very honestly and wisely and yet you know he said no more than i told you before he was called in however after all this passion on both sides james renewed his consent and proper directions were given to the journey nor was he now at any loss to discover that the whole intrigue was originally contrived by buckingham as well as pursued violently by his spirit and impetuosity these circumstances which so well characterized the persons seem to have been related by cottington to lord clarendon from whom they are here transcribed and though minute are not undeserving of a place in history the prince of buckingham with their two attendants and sir richard graham master of horse to buckingham passed disguised and undiscovered through france and they even ventured into a court ball at paris where charles saw the princess henrietta whom he afterwards espoused and who was at that time in the bloom of youth and beauty in eleven days after the departure from london they arrived at madrid and surprised everybody by a step so unusual among great princes the spanish monarch immediately paid charles a visit expressed the utmost gratitude for the confidence reposed in him and made warm protestations of a correspondent confidence and friendship by the most studied civilities he showed the respect which he bore to his royal guest he gave him a golden key which opened all his apartments that the prince might without any introduction have access to him at all hours he took the left hand of him on every occasion except in the apartments assigned to charles 
for there, he said, the prince was at home. Charles was introduced into the palace with the same pomp and ceremony that attends the king of Spain on their coronation. The council received public orders to obey him as the king himself. End of section 59, chapter 49, part 1.